Hey everybody, welcome to the Hunt for Real podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today I've got Zach Fleer back on. Zach is a hardcore public land hunter from Missouri who is a big buck killer. And he's also got a little baby at home and another little boy, and he's got a lot of things going on. And so we talked not only about strategies for scouting public land, but also being efficient in regards to having a having a family and having a lot of obligations. And then we get into a conversation about finding and identifying buck concentrations out there on public land. It's a place we've never gone to uh, in this podcast so far, and it was really interesting. Zach has a lot of good stuff to offer up, and I think you're going to love it. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We know you have a ton of hunting podcasts you can listen to. So when you check in with us and you give us an hour every week, it really means something to us. So thank you for that. In one minute, everything can change and it can become the best hunt of your life. It's a reality. Really understanding the landscape, that's what kills big deer. Zach, welcome back to the podcast, buddy. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me back. You look remarkably well-rested for having, what, a three-day-old baby at home? As, uh, yeah, a few days old. We're getting some sleep, so making it making it through. Well, congratulations on the uh, the newest addition to the family. And you are in a life space right now where... If you're a super, super passionate bow hunter, and I know you are, and you're a public land hunter and you put in a lot of work, you're probably reassessing like how your fall is going to go, wh- how much time are you going to get out there? You're probably trying to, to burn off that honey-do list a little bit and make sure that you can get out there. How, how are you looking at this fall knowing, you know, you got another little one and now you have this brand new baby and it's things are changing? Yeah, things things are definitely changing. Bow hunting has, uh, has taken a backseat now to having kiddos, but... Um, so this started a little bit last year. Our, our little boy we had around, um, I had to be a lot more efficient with the time that I spent in the woods and uh, a lot more efficient with the scouting trip. So this fall, um, I actually, actually took a lot of advantage of turkey season. The few days I spent out scouting spots that I knew I wanted to deer hunt. And that's, that's what turkey season for, right? You scout where you want to deer hunt in the fall. You, you went running and gunning down there in Missouri and covered a bunch of ground looking for deer spots. I did, yeah, did that because I knew I knew this this summer uh, having a little girl show up was going to be very few scouting trips. So uh, made full advantage of turkey season and and uh, I'll try to get out a couple times before uh, season rolls around. But I'm I narrowed my kind of my search down on public land this year. I've got four spots, um, one where I killed a good buck last year, and, and a couple from the previous years where I knew there's some good bucks. So instead of trying to cover lots of places i've i've kind of taken a more narrow approach i think four is a fairly safe number i've got two smaller properties and two really big properties and so um, i know i can find a place to hunt even if there's other people there on any of those four properties so that's kind of the approach i'm taking this year is kind of narrowed down and um, with my limited time and and uh and the same for scouting instead of instead of scouting all the property of uh, narrowed a few and places down pinch points and you know food that you know is going to be there this year and and just focus the scouting efforts on those places instead of trying to cover tons and tons of ground so when you were running and gunning you know, trying to shoot a turkey in the face trying to find a place to hunt deer 
I'm assuming you were looking for kind of the traditional winter scouting, spring scouting stuff, last year's sign, pinch points, mm-hmm. access points, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Looking looking for a lot of pinch pinch points and the two places that I turkey hunted a lot, um with the intention that I knew I was gonna probably deer hunt there a lot this fall. Um, there's a lot of big ridges. And so I was basically trying to find when you have a big block of timber like that, it's hard to figure out where the deer like where they travel a lot because it's all timber but there was a couple really big ridges and uh and a couple pinch points in there and i found some really good buck but uh buck bedding areas actually um jumped a lot of bucks in those areas found some sheds found a lot of old rubs and uh, some old scrapes in there so i feel pretty confident that i i know where those bucks will be uh this fall cruising through there and there's um, some really narrow ridges and some really deep ditches, and that actually made my the areas where I will look to hunt when I get there it narrows that down a lot because it's they have to cross between those places to get from food to bedding. So that's, yeah, uh, you're looking at the, the kind of bluffy terrain you're in. I mean, this is this is what I spent last night doing. I I drew my Iowa tag this year. And I'm I'm hunting the same kind of stuff probably, or I, I would I would assume the terrain because I've been to your area, and, and I, I I'm looking at the same thing, going okay, lots of ridges, lots of bluffs, lots of up and down valleys, and some steep places where there's going to be a limited amount of travel. And I think I think we have overplayed the rut pinch point terrain funnel hand and and underplayed the season long pinch point mm-hmm. and, and you know we don't maybe maybe it's just a cognitive dissonance dissonance there but there are places out there that are unbelievable pinch points and funnels especially in the terrain you're talking about that the deer use all season long it's not mm-hmm. just go sit there and catch a buck you know on november 7th and what you're talking about is tying in all right spring scouting now I know where the bucks like to live, and now I know where these places are where deer probably have to cross these ravines and will probably travel these ridges. And you're piecing together something that could be valuable to you every day of the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, these, like you said, these are places where, and even sitting there during turkey season watching uh, does and some young bucks and stuff actually moving through these places give me more confidence that there will be mature deer at some point during the fall are going to move through there, so... Um, but yeah, these, one of them is just a huge, huge ditch that runs up to a, a really long ridge. And it's like the, the deer can't, the, the only way across from point A to point B is to go up and around that ditch. Cause there's no way they're going to cross it unless they're spooked. So it's just a spot like that. But, I mean, it's really good in the rut, but it's all year. That's the deer going to walk around the head of that ditch. And it's, it just makes a, makes a I don't know how how many acres that chunk of timber is close to 400 it makes that hunt rather small because it's like that's an area that you know deer are going to cross because that that main ridge runs through the majority of that property and so I'm guessing in the fall bucks are going to run that ridge and if they're running that ridge they're going to go up around the head of that ditch so yeah that's that was one spot that I'm excited about that I found during during turkey season I also killed a turkey there (laughs) perfect are you was it a jake it wasn't. It was a, oh. a a two-year-old. He he made me work a little bit, but I managed to get him. But. Nice. You got you got to love two-year-olds. Oh yeah. Those th- that kind of spot you're talking about is it's such an 
it's such a good, useful thing to understand because when you're when you're sitting there looking at a hillside, like we were just fishing, we we just fished a couple of tournaments down on the Mississippi River, you know, and you're in between bluffs there, just mm-hmm. right past southern Minnesota, northern Iowa, and you can look at those hillsides and see some of those washouts on the sides. And I, I deal with that all the time. And what you're talking about there is you got a, this ditch, you got this this washout, this gully, whatever you want to call it. And it scours out that hillside. And on the top and the bottom, there's usually a really good trail. And the top mm-hmm. can be really good because it'll pinch tight and give you the chance to play that wind. But you can see those. Obviously, you can see them in person. But you can see those on, on X right now, 3D mapping on Google Earth. And just about call your shots. If you're in a place with decent deer densities, you can look at those and go, the top and the bottom are going to have good trails and if you go in there it's almost always right yeah yeah you're 100 right there and that's that's originally how i i found those spots and that's uh, again why i turkey hunted there is because i wanted to look and uh, having having little kids at home my turkey hunting is also my scouting day so we have to take full advantage of that but but yeah that was looking at maps i've gotten a lot better and i think i talked to you about this last year but at at looking at topo maps and looking at on X and just the terrain features. And instead of seeing a 400 acre chunk of property, I find the spots like that, that pop up on a map that are easy to see. And it's like, okay, this is where I'm going to spend my time scouting. And, uh, it's been, been effective. And I really like those ditches because it gives me access. I can walk all the way up that ditch and be kind of low, um, less disturbance i guess if if deer do end up crossing the ditch behind me or something but and uh i think the thermals come i'm not smart enough to figure all that out but i think thermals work well too because they tend to go down the ditch and then anything crossing that um the head of the ditch above you is usually going to be um not downwind of you so yeah it gives you not only does it give you the chance to play the prevailing winds a lot of times because your your wind might be blowing way out over a valley and totally not going to affect anything that's anywhere near you, at least bow range. Mm-hmm. But it does give you that chance, too, to play the thermals. And those kind of setups, it's it's probably more common to go on the top of the ridge. I think people are just more comfortable there. I do a mm-hmm. lot of more morning setups. I mean, this is one of my early season tricks is to take those suckers down into the bottom and because then you got the thermals going up and you can Mm -hmm. access the same way it doesn't matter if you're going up or down if you're if you're in one of those little ditches those deer are only going to cross in a few spots probably and so you're mostly pretty good about leaving scent going down there and you can use those to access morning stands in places you might not normally think and you know people will say oh you can't be in the bottom of a valley the wind's too swirly like, man, I, I grew up hunting that stuff. And yeah, sometimes it swirls in there. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's very reliable. And mm-hmm. knowing that little that little ditch, you know, washout trick can open up a lot of possibilities for different places to hunt. And I, I suspect what you're finding in those spots is that not a ton of people are clued into that on public land. Yeah, it, it seems like people overlook some of those spots looking for a bigger you know, cut in the trees or road or something that makes them more a pinch point that you can see in person or on a map a lot easier. These, these are a little bit more subtle. And like you said about the bottom of the ditch, that's places I would have never hunted. And there's actually one of them, one of my four spots is, um, the bottom of a ditch that leads out into, um, some crop fields. And that was a spot that I discovered by accident, uh, just cause I was trying to spot and stalk a turkey last, 
that was two or three years ago, but um, found a really good deer trail at the bottom of that. And the wind uh, wind forecast was would have been completely wrong for me to sit there, but it was actually going down the ditch and down the creek. And so I was like, this is actually going to work. So I sat there and saw a lot of deer. And so that's on my on my list too. But yeah, spots like that. Um, I've never seen anybody else hunt there. I've hunted that one for two years now and never seen anybody at the bottom of that. At the top of some of those ridges that you do see, occasionally you'll see another hunter or another stand, but I've never had anybody interfere with a hunt. And like, and some of those places are pretty far away from the road too. So I think it's people just hunting ridge tops instead of that actual little pinch point. So, yeah. And it, you know, the thing that really works to your advantage you know, you're, you're talking public land in Missouri, but I, I, I've seen this in a bunch of different states. If there's, if there's, you know, state planted food plots, or there's, there's crops on the public land, or like those nice openings you're talking about, you can just count on probably eighty percent of the pressure being there. And yeah, you might get mm-hmm. somebody slipping back on a ridge that you might want to hunt because there's a bunch of oaks or they know what they're doing. But this kind of stuff where you're, where you're getting in there and you're, you're reading the aerial photos, topo maps, all that good stuff, walking through there, finding the buck bedding areas. Then you're finding these specific season long pinch points. Every step of that process, you're leaving a little bit more of the competition behind. And, you know, you might have somebody cruise through there, small game hunting or something. It's public land, but you're putting yourself in a position where the deer want to go or have to go and where people probably aren't going to go. It's genius. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I didn't happen intentionally. I just, because I'm not smart enough to figure all of that, but ahead of time, but it, it did happen just through scouting and, and watching. Um, I've learned a lot uh, through scouting the last few years, and that's that's things that keep coming up. It's like deer consistently moving through these spots. I'm seeing a lot more deer than when I, like I said, if you sit on those big field edges, big crop fields, you'd, you'd see a few deer, but like the last couple of years, I've seen a lot more deer in these little pinch points because they have to go through there and and um, like you said, a lot of guys just kind of overlook that because they want to sit on the edge of that field and be able to see 200 yards instead of that one spot at the bottom of the draw. Literally, I can't see 40 yards and it's thick, thick at the edge of that. But it's like the deer have to go through there and you can hear them coming, which is helpful. But um, it makes for fast action if a buck comes through. So, Well, that's I was going to bring that up. We, I grew up hunting that kind of terrain. And I mean, I remember so many times either sitting on the top or the bottom and hearing something below me or above me and going, I should be down there or I should be up there versus where I am. And even on a big bluff, if it's calm, you'll hear them walk below you or above you a lot of times and Mm -hmm. it'll clue you in. Uh, When you say you've got four spots you're working on, do you mean four parcels or are you talking four specific spots? No, four four sections of property, I guess I should say, Um, not specific spots, so. Um, but I just narrowed it down to those four properties because of the limited, like I said, limited amount of time that I know I'll have to scout and hunt. So I just focused in on those, which, um, I feel like give me the best, best chance to actually get a shot at something this year. Well, are, are you using, are you using something to mark your spots, your potential places and are you narrowing things down? Yeah, I do. I've, I've used Onyx and uh hunt stand both in the past and, uh, mark, I mark on, usually I use one app for potential stand sites and then use the other ones for the actual stands that I put in just cause I'm weird. But, um, so I'll, I'll sit off. I have a slow day at work or something. I'll mark, you know, 10 spots on a map. And I did this a lot before Turkey season. I had probably 15 to 20 spots. So I was like, this could be a potential stand location. 
And as you scout them, you either affirm it's like, yeah, this there's a heavy trail here. There's a bunch of old rubs. This is a good spot. Or, you know, it turns out like, well, this looked better on a map than it did in person. And so I'll take that one off. So, yeah, I use use Onyx a lot. It helps just to, you know, you can makes it easy to see the terrain with the map and also to, to put all those stand locations and deer sightings. I used to not keep track of deer sightings, but if I see a good mature deer, I'll keep track of that. And, uh, it kind of, you kind of start to see a pattern after a while if you get enough of them logged. So that's actually been helpful. I wish I would have started a long time ago on that. But. Yeah. I, I have some buddies who keep real close track of that and I don't, and I should, cause my memory sucks, but <laughs> I, I don't, and I'm not going to start now because I know I wouldn't keep up with it. I, I ask you that about marking waypoints and potential spots because I've kind of developed this process where, you know, like, like I said, I, I drew that Iowa tag. And so I've been looking a lot at aerial photography and, and you know, just marking anything where I'm like, okay, this is, you know, you can measure how far away it is from the access. You know, how many valleys do you have to cross to get there? How, how, you know, lots, lots of different stuff. And what I realized last night, cause I've been working on this, this area of public land for two years now, ever since I decided I was going to draw there. And I have probably 40 waypoints. <laughs> and so I know I, especially last night, I kind of went nuts, but I found some stuff and I was, I was actually using uh, Google Earth on my iPad to really zoom in and then using Onyx to see where the lines were and everything and going back and forth. I found this spot on the iPad when I was on the Google Earth where I was like, I found this little pond tucked into this spot. And I was like, oh, that is, that's, that's just like perfect for me and i was super excited then i looked at my onyx and i already had it waypointed so i found it in the past <laughs> and just forgot, forgot but yeah what i what i start doing it this is probably what i'll start doing really soon is digging into each one of those waypoints and looking at them again and going is that really worth my time or mm-hmm. not and i'll pair them away and I, I did that last year in north dakota on that new spot i hunted and i went from i think eight really really loaded with potential spots down to four and never had to move past my first one. And I feel like, I feel like there's maybe an information overload a lot of times if you don't manage that data a little mm-hmm. bit better. Yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. And uh, I like what you said about measuring uh, how many hills you have to go through in the woods. That's a real thing. Cause in the dark, you're like, uh, am I there yet? But have, knowing how many hills your valleys you're going through is good. But um, for sure on that, I, I have, uh, on those apps, there's probably 150 waypoints, and I probably at one time probably had 300. And I've there's there's I mean 15,000 acres, 20,000 acres of public land within an hour drive of my house. And so uh, again, if it's if I'm not doing anything or get a slow day at work, I'll I'll start looking at these properties and um, you know putting potential stand sites or pinch points on there, and then. As I've actually gotten boots on the ground and learned things, I'll go back and like, yeah, that was that spot's not going to be any good, and I'll pull them off. Or if I walk the spots and see it, I'll pull pull pins off. So it's I definitely have narrowed them down more, and I think it's made it's made my hunts better. Like last year, that that was my second sit when I killed that buck with a bow, and then my first sit in rifle season, I killed a deer, and it's like it's made my hunting more efficient. Like I'm I know there you got to be in the right spot at the right time, but I feel like I'm a lot more in the right spots now instead of working my way in i kind of get there the first couple times so it's uh it definitely helps to have those waypoints marked and then 
and then like uh, once you get a few on there, like you said, kind of really take a hard look at them and figure out which ones are actually like, yeah, this one's worth hunting or this one may may not be worth the effort of trying to trying to get in there. So when you when you mark those spots and you're sitting there at night, you know, rocking a kid to sleep or something like you might be doing on any random night, you pick a spot and go, that one's got potential. How how often do you get it wrong? Um, a lot less now. Um, like this, this spring, the, the spots that I, like you said, you'll be walking through the woods and it's like, man, this looks like a good spot. And I'll pull it up on my app and it's like, oh, there's already a pin within 50 yards of here. I just have to narrow it down just a little bit more. But, um, I used to get it wrong a lot, like three and four years ago, it was like, you go check it out. And like, I don't know why I dropped the pin here, but <laughs> so you have to pull it off. But in the last two years when I've gotten more serious about reading maps and then actually getting boots on the ground to affirm what I'm doing. I've gotten a lot better like that. Both those spots where I killed my bucks last year were spots. I dropped a pin. And when I went in there, it's like, yeah, this is, this looks good. This is going to work. And it, it did. So I feel, I feel confident and I'm not, I'm not tried it out of state or anything yet. Hopefully someday I'll get to try that. But, um, but I would have more, a lot more confidence now like on an out of state hunt, reading maps where I could get in and say, yeah, I think this is where I should be hunting. Whereas before I would have, <laughs> I would have been going in blind and just hoping that something happened. So, well, that's a, you bring up a good point there because if you don't have this down in terrain, you know, really well, it's going to be a lot harder to do it in a new state where you've never mm-hmm. been. And man, I've, I've seen this in, in, you know, Oklahoma public land and Western North Dakota public land where what looks, what, what seems like it should kind of mirror what I know from my home state hunts and the places I'm really familiar with. Sometimes I'm so far off when I get to a a new place and it's not a matter of being 50 yards off. It's a matter of you got it just totally wrong. And so Mm -hmm. this is kind of a, I guess I don't know how to phrase this without getting into trouble the the traveling public land hunting thing is so hot right now everybody wants to go do it and people go and i and i want them to go i don't want anybody to take mm-hmm. this any other way I want, I want you to go experience this and have some fun and go live out of a tent and hunt new places and new deer but if you're not consistently killing them at home adjust your standards accordingly to where you're going. You know, it's like people will think, oh, I live in this state and the hunting's shitty. So if I go to this state where the hunting's good, everything will be fine. And it's just never that simple, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's like a word of caution. And, and I say this because, you know, we, we just, when we were fishing these tournaments down in Iowa, we were watching, we watched two seasons of uh, On Your Own Adventures with Randy Newberg on Amazon Prime. And then we watched the hunting public's latest season. And the, when I watch the hunting public's latest season, I go, this is why all these freaking people keep reaching out to me, asking me about like midday scouting and going into bedding areas and bumping bucks. I'm like, why are all these guys asking me this? Like, this sounds like a terrible idea, guys. And then I watch Zach and Aaron and those guys go out and they're like, yeah, we're just going to go in here. We bumped this buck. Now we're going to hunt him. And I, I, I love those guys and they're killers, but what they're portraying is only partially like what you're really seeing going on there. They, yeah. They're good hunters. They have a lot of time and they know what they're doing. It's not an easy thing what they're doing. And so 
when I talk to somebody like you who says, well, I'm scouting travel areas and, and pinch points and places deer like to walk through, I'm like, that's probably a better style to replicate for most people than this guerrilla warfare throw on a ghillie suit and get right in there with them and wake those bucks out of beds. I mean, by the by the end of the the hunting public's latest season, I was like, all these deer on public land are going to be exhausted because they're going to get bumped out of their beds for four months straight. And I think I, th- I think it's important to understand what you're getting into at home and abroad when you're going out to these new states. I love watching those guys and what they do, um, but I think when you have when you have a little more time, like they do this full time, so they have time to to do that midday scouting, bump a deer, and then go back in and hunting. I may get you know two days a month of the best hunting, and it's like I got to make it count. And so. Um, going in and bumping a buck and then trying to come back and hunting may not be my best bet, but I know if I'm on a heavy pinch point, like a travel corridor, it's like, there's going to be a deer come through here. And then like, that's probably my highest percentage shot to, to get it done. So, and I've, we, I talked to you about this our, our last time too, but like these places I'm hunting now, um, the, the place that I've saw the biggest deer I've, I've seen period, um, on the hoof was a piece of public land that, I remember the first time I, I scouted it and walked it, I was like, there's, there's no deer here. And like, so it's, you narrow it down to where, and that's, I've gotten better like at this property because I've hunted it over and over again. But now I have what I've learned there. Like I said, I could probably take to a new state and be more successful. I think, I think where I struggle is we have a big, uh, there's a big wetland area. That's all river bottom. So there's no terrain, nothing. It's, it's all the same. And that's the hardest thing for me to scout. I, I actually used to not like timber, but it's like I can find pinch points in timber now, big blocks of woods to hunt. But when it's flat <laughs> and all looks the same, it's like uh, that's where I keep going back because there's giant deer there. But it's uh, it's been that one's been a hard thing for me to learn. So I've gotten shots at a couple deer, but uh, and seen a few deer, but it's it's not as consistent as like I can go to that the head of that ditch and probably see. A, if I sit there two times, probably see a nice deer. The wetland stuff's tough. I mean, it's just, and it, when you get around cattails, you get around big bucks a lot of times, but you get a, a, around a situation that's a lot harder to hunt generally, mm-hmm. I think. You know, and I, I, I spent some time looking at a few of those because there's some wetland production areas or uh, waterfall production areas down around where I've been scouting in Iowa. And I, I hunt those a lot for pheasants at certain points of the year and once in a while for ducks too. And I see you jump those deer, you know, like they Mm -hmm. live there, but you might be dealing with eight trees in 600 acres. And, you know, when you hunt around cattails a lot, you realize like they use that stuff a lot, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to go in after them. It could be because it's just it's just not very likely. So you're going to kill them on the edge, and you got to figure out how they're getting out, and then you got to figure out a, an ambush site, and it, you're just very limited there, which is why those bucks are there. Yeah, and I've I've seen a couple guys last year put put in work where they hunted every day for a few weeks, and they finally got got it done and killed some just giant bucks. But um, it's it's hard. I I shoot a lot of does there. Those are are kind of there's does everywhere, so. Um, if I go on a freezer filling mission, that's where I go. Cause I know I can get it done. But, um, the bucks there are, are uh, what few trees are there. I started out, uh, I think the first time I hunted down there was probably four or five years ago hunting those trees. And 
<laughs> the deer don't bed in the trees down there. They bed out in the cattails. That was a new thing for me. I never experienced that. So yeah, there's really no way unless, uh, unless you hunt like the public thing, guys, you go <laughs> hunting public guys, you <laughs> go in there and jump them up and then find out right where they're bedded and try to sit in there. But it's, it's just tough. I, that's a challenge that I would someday when I have more time, I would love to, to get more into that and figure that out. But I'd, um, I see where they bed now, which isn't in the trees. It's just, but where they bed, it's almost impossible to get to. There's no trees. And I mean, I don't know how you, how you would get them. It would be a fun, it'd be a fun challenge. So, yeah, I mean, you, you'd probably have to play them, you know, scent check in the edge for does or something, you know? And I mean, I've, I've hunted around cattail sloughs a lot and I've, I hunt through them all the time for pheasants and you see where they bed in the little hummocks and the high spots and you see where they come and go and it's possible, but you're, you're dealing with, a, uh, you know, most of the time sit on the ground set up and trying to get a tight shot and it's just a different ball game, but you are where they live and you, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, that's like such security cover and it, you know, that's, that reminds me of something I was going to bring up that you talked about a little bit with your your spring turkey slash scouting trips and you know being around lots of buck concentration you know rubs antlers seeing them the whole thing and that that's something i noticed with the hunting public on the, their latest season which they didn't they don't really at least what i watched they didn't really talk about this but what they're really good at is finding concentrations of bucks mm-hmm. and that's a big deal they're they're hunting in the places where you know maybe you take a section you know take 640 acres of land they're looking for the place where 50 percent of the bucks live in this small area and they're just increasing their odds that way because you know they're not targeting an individual buck most of the time they're just going hey we want a good one and they're going where the good ones are and they're doing (laughs) that early season you know september one type stuff they're doing it later in the season they're doing it in october when people aren't supposed to be able to kill them and they're doing it during the rut and i think that's sort of the secret to their sauce of covering a whole bunch of ground is like where do the most bucks live and then then you got a little leeway you bump one and whatever you know you might be around more but they're getting to where those concentrations are yeah and i before those guys got on and started talking about buck nests and all that stuff I never even would have thought about that, but it's, it's true. These little, little places that I've found and been successful at the last couple of years is it, I see more, more bucks and more mature bucks. I remember talking to a guy three years ago, he was hunting his, I mean, his farm and had covered in trail cameras and stuff. And he had one buck he was after and he just couldn't get it done. And I was, he'd gone, I don't know, several weeks and not seen any mature deer. And I, like every, I think I hunted probably four or five times. And every time I was, got to see a mature deer and he's like how come you're seeing mature deer and it's like i think i'm just where they want to be like i'm going in those travel corridors and those spots it's like they've they've got to go from their bedding to feed that's what they you know that's just what they're going to do and so um yeah but there are places that definitely do have higher concentration of bucks like that that spot i found uh this spring it was there was eight bucks and you can i mean see their little antlers growing but uh, they were all bedded together on a on a ridge that I would have kind of overlooked. It wasn't. It didn't look a lot different than any other ridges on a map. But um, started looking at it, and then that was. It's not too far away from where I found that big uh, pinch point at the head of that ditch, and so I um, have more confidence that I'll at least see some bucks there this fall if I get in there. So I know there's at least eight of them that were there. So yeah, but uh, 
but yeah, it just seems like there are certain certain spots, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a long ways away from a road, but it's just cover and thick cover and usually a, a, a bandage point where they can either, a lot of times they like to look at those parking lots, we talked about that before, or they just have a good view um, of what's what's coming around them, and that, that'll hold hold of uh quite a few bucks at a time so you bring up you bring up something i want to talk about you know when you're when you're spring turkey hunting and you see a group of bucks go by we we tend to only think about bachelor groups in this time of year you know you get out summer glassing and you see them but you see bucks hanging together almost the entire year except for like maybe four weeks in the fall maybe and even mm-hmm. then, sometimes you see them together. And, I, you know, I saw that I photographed bachelor groups in March scouting turkeys this spring. And I think about how often, you know, being on public land where I'll see, you know, you see a buck coming. You're like, oh, that's a decent buck. And then 20 yards behind him is the buck you want to shoot or a buck of the caliber you want to shoot or three bucks behind him. And you go, man, there's this is not something where you just, you, you kind of, we've always been told like, Oh, they get, they get ticked at each other. Testosterone kicks up and they, they split up, but they have a pecking order. And when they get that figured out, I think that they get, I, I don't think they're as intolerant of other bucks around them as we think they are. A lot of times they get, you know, they might not be licking each other's noses and grooming each other, but they're living together for safety and mm-hmm. once they get that stuff figured out, who's the top dog? Like, yeah, I'm sure there's times where the, you know, when a hot doe's around, they're getting run off and they're splitting out and doing their own thing. But there's a lot more times of the year where you see them and they'll be in a concentration. That's, that's actually an interesting point. I've never, I've never stopped long to pause on that, but, uh, even running trail cameras on a farm all year, you'll see bucks together, even during the rut, other than when, you know, maybe one's locked down with a doe. Um, but yeah, I think just for their own survival, it's like, they still have to be in a, in a herd, you have a better chance of survival. And so, um, it would be interesting to, for somebody to do some research on that, but I a hundred percent think you're right. They, they tolerate each other pretty well. I used to watching the old hunting videos and stuff where they talk about the dominant buck in your area runs everything off. And that's kind of the mindset that I used to have, but, uh, you're at, you're right. Like sitting in, in some of those spots last year, you'll get, a nice two and a half year old deer come through and there'll, there'll be a couple of yearling bucks or, and then a, a mature buck in that group. And that's, that's still October uh, getting close to November. It's like, they're still together. They'll start, you know, searching for does and doing that stuff, but they're still going to be together. They're, they're not going to completely leave, leave the woods just because one big buck is, is found a spot to bed there. But yeah. And you know, what you bring up there with the trail cameras, we see that and hear about that all the time where you're like, man, I haven't got a picture of a buck in two weeks. And all of a sudden I had four of them one night and they're gone. What was happening? Was there a, you know, early estrus doe? And it's like <laughs> that, those, that group of bucks just might've swung through. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that's, the thing that you, you kind of realize about that stuff when you spend more time out there, you know, you, you brought up that hunting, the hunting public and their, and their buck nest spot, which is really cool, but it's basically a CRP field that a whole bunch of bucks like to bet in, <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, it's not, you know, that that's just what it is. And that's probably pretty consistent until enough people figure it out, which I'm sure there are a bunch of people trying to figure that spot out, you know, oh, yeah. cause that's just the name of the game right now. But what you see, like, I, I think about this, this place I hunt in Northern Wisconsin 
in 2016, I found a concentration of bucks in early October to mid-October when I killed my buck. And it was a creek bottom and it just had more deer. And that's a low density situation there. And so I saw, I don't remember how many bucks, but it was like five bucks in this area, which is a lot for over there. Mm -hmm. And thought, okay, this is, I, I got it. And then the next year... They were in there, and the year after that, they were gone. I couldn't find them, but what I could find was more ladder stands in there and more people <laughs> activity, and so I lost them, hunted some other stuff, found some bucks on different properties, and I went back there last year and after some winter scouting and found a concentration of bucks 300 yards away from that creek bottom, but in a different spot, way closer to the road, in a, in a place that looks just on paper looks way less desirable. Mm-hmm. And they were there. And it, you know, it wasn't a ton of bucks again. There was a monster in there and there was a good buck that I killed and some other deer. And I'm just like, that concentration of bucks, okay, is it like is it a coincidence that they used to be just down the hill and around that creek and now they're here? Were they here the whole time and moving through there? But when it felt like they were gone, it felt like they were gone. And really they had only shifted a little bit, but it took some work to get back on them. Yeah. And I've, I noticed you're hundred percent right. Like you'll be closing in on a spot and feel like you're getting like year to year. It's like these deer have been here and then you'll go in one time and it's like, there's, there's nothing here, no sign. And then there'll be a tree stand or two tree stands close by. And I, I think they do respond to pressure. And, um, like you said, it, they may move the next ridge over. They may move 300, 300 yards away. I used to think they were just like gone, moved to a different spot, but it's like, that's their home. They're not going to leave. They're just going to adjust to that hunting pressure. And so that's again, like using those ditches and stuff. That's why I've gotten a lot more. I used to just walk through the woods and go to my spot and try to be quiet. It was about as much effort as I put into not spooking deer. But now it's like, I'm going to use these ditches and sneak in because they do respond to pressure over time. And it's like, they will shift and um, it's nice to know, even if you do bump something and they shift, it's like, they may not go that far. So just do some more scouting and you'll be, be in an area. But I think on out of state public lands, that would be hard. Cause you, if you find some spots on the map that just look amazing and then get in there and there's other people there, it's like, yeah, the deer are going to be in those spots where it's like, this doesn't look good on a map, but it may just be where they move to, to, to be more secluded. So, well, it's, it's the balance thing, right? When you, when you're traveling out of state to hunt, you have to rely more on your apps and you're, you know, scouting late at your e-scouting late at night. And then you got to go hopefully burn through there and, you know, or maybe just glass or burn through and do some boots on the ground scouting and just ground truth that stuff. It can be different when you're talking about hunting public land close to your house. You know, I mean, you're still going to adopt that process, but you have a different time frame to work with and figure out. And then you, then you build in a history with it too, which can you know, that can either be a benefit or a curse. You know I mean? If you're hunting on memories, which we all do, you get your ass kicked a lot, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you just think, okay, well, this, this is, this is a done deal and it's just, things have changed. And I think about that with, you know, the, the concentration of bucks moving in uh, Wisconsin, like I'm talking about, it's almost, it, it seems like a really daunting task to figure them out. When you think about it, you're like, they were here, now they're gone. What do I do? And it's not such a simple process, especially if you don't have a lot of time. You got a bunch of babies at home. You're not going to get out there a ton. But think about it this way: if you're if you're uh, in college and you're at a house party and there's some prick that you don't want to talk to for whatever reason, 
but you want to move around the party and have some fun, you figure out ways inside of a house to get around somebody so you don't have to mm-hmm. interact with them. If you're a deer in the woods and you're like, oh, they put a ladder stand right here where I like to cross the creek. You know what they do? They just move into the different room of that house party and they go out the back door and they come around the other side and they're not, they don't move seven cities over. They just no. go, okay, well now I got to work around this, this situation a little bit. And that's where they live. They know how to do that stuff and they know, or maybe they don't know, but what I know about us is we put that stand up there, especially when you start seeing somebody put some work like driving in a freaking ladder stand to public land. That's mm-hmm. the only place they're going to hunt. And the closest four-wheeler trail is where they're going to drive it you know i mean like you know you you know if we can figure that out by looking at somebody else's setup for five seconds that deer that lives there and listens to that four-wheeler come out or listens to the clang on the ladder stands in the morning knows okay now i got to avoid this spot yeah a hundred percent and they their instincts to survive i i I struggle with how like i feel like they're a lot of times smarter than we are they they scout us observe us as much as we do them and figure that thing out and and like yeah the big ladder stands that somebody packs one in they hunt it all the time there was i don't know how a guy got it up there there was a huge tripod stand on top of a ridge that's some pretty rough country he he put a lot of work in to get there i'm giving my hats off to him but yeah a spot like that it's like the deer deer know that's there now and know that that guy hunts it all the time so it's weird that this deer behind me on the wall here he he came off our farm um, but that deer changed the way I hunted in general because he watched us. He bedded in a spot I didn't hunt, but he could watch uh, both accesses into our farm, and that's where he always bedded, and that's where we found him dead. But that changed the way I hunted because it's like that deer was watching us, and I I couldn't I never saw him in daylight or anything. But it's like that deer knew when we were on the farm, when we were leaving the farm. It's like, and if he knew that on a private farm where it doesn't get a lot of pressure, it's like public land deer are even better at that stuff so they uh they figure things out quickly i think that's you know not to keep going back to those guys i think that's the other reason the hunting public guys are successful those deer never know where the hell they're going to run into zach farinbaugh (laughs) you know like they never know what little pine tree he's going to be hiding behind and they don't have experience getting hunted hunted in those spots they have experience paying attention to people driving by or walking by or they know when they walk into the corner of the field on the public land that that's where the stands usually are there those guys are going into places where they don't have a ton of experience getting actually hunted and i think you know that kind of goes back to the you know first time you sit a stands the best time to be there like there's so much validity to that and there's so much it, it's just amplified, you know, like you said, on a private land with a giant buck like that, that buck's clued into you a hundred percent. Now you go to public land and go, they're even more clued in. They know where we come in. They know where we walk. They know where we sit. And so now that first stand, first spot, sit type of strategy becomes way more important. Yeah, it definitely does. And I, I think waiting, uh, I don't like waiting until the rut to get into those spots. That used to be the thing. You wait till November, but it's like get in on them early when they're not as weary and haven't been hunted as hard is, is I think a really good strategy. And then, uh, just being, being mobile. I, I don't hang permanent, like hang on stands on public land anymore. Used to. And then that was the only place I hunted. And you, you know, you see less and less deer, you might get lucky, but it's like now I, I, try to be as as mobile as possible use the saddle and a light set of sticks and i'd i'll hunt similar areas but maybe 
50, 60 yards, you know, difference. And it seems to help. They, they seem to be less clued in on exactly where you are and you, you get, get a chance to at least be in bow range instead of just watching them go by. Yeah. You know, that that's another thing. The mobility thing is so popular right now. It's like one of the best and the worst things about hunting public land, I think, because it's, it gets to be a lot of work. Oh yeah. I mean, it just, it, it's, it gets to be real tempting to take the easy way out, but you know, when you get things right, when you've done that scouting and you slip in there for the first time and you look around the signs there and you set up in that tree really quietly and the, the, the sit is just so full of promise. It's so much fun. And, you know, mm-hmm. even if that doesn't work out completely, you see one cross the ridge above you or, you know, work through the river bottom below and you go, okay, now, now I got you, dude. Like now, now I know what the next step is. And then it's a hell of a lot easier to pull a stand and, you know, move on in on them. Yeah. And that's, that's a little bit of what happened last year. The first sit in the area where I shot my buck with a bow, I was in about 60 yards off of where I wanted to be. And I, I actually had dropped my pin in the right spot on the map. I was just wandering in in the dark and walked past it and then was like, well, I'm not going back because it's starting to get light. And so, and sitting in that spot, I didn't see any bucks that morning, um, but there was a lot of deer that moved moved through the spot where I wanted to be. And so waited, uh, it was probably two weeks till the wind got where I wanted again, went back in and that's when I killed that buck. But yeah, it, it's, I used to, I hunt when I can because I don't always have enough time, but I do try to make sure I have enough enough spots I can go where the wind's right and like you can get in on a deer because and then I don't hunt the same areas as much as I used to. This year's, like I said, is going to be a little different with <laughs> the limited amount of time I have. I probably don't have enough time to spook too many deer. But uh, well, you're sitting here saying basically what you're saying is. You give yourself enough options for various wind directions, mornings, evenings, because when you get time to go, you're going to hunt mm-hmm. and you're not going to just say, I'm going to wait till the rut when it's going to get easy. You're, if you got an afternoon off and Mrs. Fleer says, go out, you need to, you need to go relax in the woods for a little <laughs> while. You're going to go, okay, I'm going right down the list. It's a Northwest wind. It's 63 degrees out now. It's going to drop, whatever. And you're going, I'm going, and they're going to be on acorns or you're, you're giving yourself the chance every time yeah yeah and i think that's i mean that's it didn't used to be that way i, I mean it used to go out and uh, when i had a chance and it was you know go to a random spot but now like i said using using the maps and i have most have most of my pins labeled by if it's a morning or evening set based on thermals and then wind direction so it's like i can scroll down um if i have an afternoon off it's like yep i'm going and then uh choosing what stand locations I can get into and then like kind of using past experiences. If I've hunted those spots before to say, yeah, this is, this is about the time of year where we saw some bucks move through there before kind of those, but I try to give myself the, you know, the highest odds of actually connecting on a deer uh, with each chance. And last year, like, again, I think everything just kind of worked out last year, but I hunted the least amount last year and uh, like three hunts had, filled my buck tags and that's probably the least amount of hunts it took to fill buck tags again there's a lot of luck involved but i feel like i had put myself in the right locations to to get that done so i'm i'm getting smarter i used to just be full of energy and would go do lots of things but now i gotta be at home a lot more with the kiddos so it it takes a little more strategy pre-hunt than it used to but it is it is fun 
it takes experience, man. I mean, it takes experience to figure out how to do this right. And it's, it, it takes a lot of experience. And what, what you're, what you're saying about, you know, I got a chance to go, I'm going to go. I can't stress how important that is to people. And if you have enough places to go, this is where the value of public land is. When mm-hmm. you've got that 40 acres or 80 acres, you got three stands. If you get an afternoon to go hunt, you're going to go, Ugh, do I, do I want to go burn this stand? The wind's not right for any of the stands, but that's my place to hunt. Then you're stuck. You're either going to sit a situation where you might not want to, you might be burning your stands out, or you might just say, I'm not going to go. I'm going to wait. And I, I talk about this quite a bit with, when I became a full-time freelance writer and I'm like, I'm going to kill a bunch of bucks on public land and I'm going to do it this way. What I realized was there was no time off when it, when you, when you mm-hmm. could go, you got to go, you know, it, yeah. it's the same thing when you go on a trip and you go, okay, I'm spending five days in Kansas and I'm going to hunt. It's like, are you really going to take one of those sits off? Cause the conditions aren't right. You, you know, like, mm-hmm. or two of those sits off cause the weather goes bad on you. And like, no, like I hope not. Cause you're going to, you're really selling yourself short. And the more you get out there and the more options you have, like you're talking about where you put in the legwork, you put in the scouting ahead of time, you give yourself those places to go sit that you have confidence in, which is super important. Then good stuff happens and it doesn't have to happen only on November 7th. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. And I think, when we used to hunt the farm all the time, that was our farm really only sets up well for a south and a west wind, which you, you know, you get towards late fall when the rut gets good, you get a lot of north winds, and it's like, man, it just <laughs> it sucks. It's like you're either going to spook a lot of deer, you get lucky, but now it's like I have, I mean, like I said, there's fifteen thousand acres of public land around here. Uh, I can find a place to hunt, and and using the onyx and those maps, it it helps significantly because it's like I. I can open that up and there's, <laughs> there's, you know, 150 different pins that I've dropped somewhere. I can find a place to hunt. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, if you, if you skip a night of hunting when you have the opportunity to, just because you don't think conditions are right, it's like, yeah, go out there and do it. You'll, <laughs> it'll be worth it. You can find a spot. And I'll just, it's, uh, yeah, I watched too many, too many deer hunt videos back in the day where, yeah, there were nights or there was even mornings. It's like, yeah, it's not perfect. I'm going to sleep in. It's like, I don't have that luxury anymore and uh, I've I've made it made it work now and like I said it's been fun to see see more deer in bow range the last few years just by putting in a little extra scouting work and then you know having that many options it's like you you're not hunting the same deer all the time and you get to get to see fresh deer all the time it's kind of fun. Yeah you know and, and what you're saying too sort of begs the question like why are we really doing this? If it's, if we're only hunting to kill big ones, then yeah, I guess wait out that perfect cold morning in November when your absolute best chance probably is. But if you really love to hunt, it's hard to say no to hunting. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, you don't want to hunt like an idiot. So you're, you're stuck in this spot where you go, all right, well, I have to be able to go do what I want at the level I want. And that just requires X amount of work and X amount of spots. And I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with this right now. You know, when I, when I knew I was going to draw Iowa, that was going to be like my big 10 day, you know, November 5th through the 15th kind of thing. I'm going to go camp. I'm going to hunt all day, every day. And I'm just going to soak it up because it's going to be a long time before I draw again, probably. And <laughs> our, you know, our buddy over at Wired to Hunt, Mark Kenyon, threw a, threw a wrench into the whole thing for me. So my plans are changing a little bit. And now I got to go... <laughs> 
uh, at a different time of the season, you know, maybe late October into the beginning part of November, because I got a different hunt I got to go to now. And I'm sitting here, you know, like last night, part of the reason I couldn't sleep and I was all fired up to look at spots. I'm like, should I just go tr- down there and try to kill a big one in, in right at the beginning of the season in Iowa or like October 5th through the 15th and try to do it when probably I'm probably not going to have a ton of competition out there, but it's not going to be that mm-hmm. traditional rut hunt. And I feel stupid even entertaining that, but I'm not totally convinced I shouldn't try that. I I think you should. I I gave up on uh, like <laughs> making plans I have to stick to, and the, you're out of state, so it it is different. But yeah, like the I I try to go in with an open mind to each hunting season now, and there are there are times where it's like if conditions aren't right to hunt. Uh, where I know there's like mature deer, I'll go shoot does just because I like eating them and it's a lot of fun. Um, but early season, uh, I mean, in that October time frame is when traditionally people are like, don't try to hunt big bucks. But it's like, that's when I killed my deer last year. That's when I've seen over the last three years, nice mature deer on their feet. And it's like, you just, just have to be where they are. And it's, there's a lot less hunting pressure in the woods at that time. And it's usually, usually is warm, but um, it's, it can happen. And <laughs> those big deer don't, don't hide in holes until November. So no. And it, what you're saying is I think there's such a correlation there between fewer hunters and more big bucks moving. And it, and then that's mm-hmm. a public land thing. I mean, it's not solely a public land thing, but it seems to be a very consistent public land thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I mean, like I said, dude, we, we keep talking about it, but the deer, the deer, know where the hunters access they know where there's you know the hunters walking through the woods they know that and that early season they're just a little bit more relaxed they haven't been harassed too much and i think i think their guard's not all the way up like it will be later in the year even during the rut i mean they're chasing does but they're still they still know what's going on so but uh that's that's one thing missouri season opens september 15th and it's um i used to just try to hunt does on opening morning and a couple years ago changed that when I saw, I mean, I've gotten pretty good at guessing deer on the hoof, but I mean, he was 160 and 10 point big, big, big deer. And that was opening evening. And that was again, I was at that wetlands and I was on the ground and just the wind swirled the last minute and I didn't get a shot at him, but that cemented. It's like these deer are out here, they're moving, they got to feed. And, uh, I just think, you know, you go to late October that deer would not have been in that spot where he was. He was, he was walking real early in daylight and he was kind of, you know, out on the edge of a, a field that wasn't very far off the road. And I don't think he would have been doing that a couple months from then. So, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the, the, the beauty of, uh, opening, you know, opening week hunting is you can catch that big one just slipping, you know, I mean, just, you just can, but you, you, you know, that buck, the, if you can find a way, that's that, it's pretty tough in those cattails in a, in, a, in a wetland, but that deer is probably still killable in mid-October. You're just going to have to find where he's staging, you know, and you're, you're going to have to, it's going to take a different kind of process, but that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at for uh, Iowa is just doing that scrape staging area type hunting in October when I'm, I'm sure the opening weekend, there'll be a bunch of people out, but I mm-hmm. bet... 
especially if it gets a little warm in mid-October, there'll be a, a big lull in people activity. And I might I might go down there at least for four or five days and see if I can. I, I'll, I'll feel like I'm cheating myself. But like you said, you know, <laughs> Iowa makes you buy that super expensive doe tag. And I've never filled one down there. I've drawn two tags and I've killed two bucks, but never shot a doe. And I'm like, I'm, I'm taking my freaking doe. You're going to make me buy this tag. I'm going to kill one. I'm uh-huh. taking that sucker home. And so I may, maybe I'll do that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely go for it. I think it'll, it'll be fun. And I, I think even, uh, if you're hunting an area up in Iowa, it's got some, some timber the, that's when the white oaks are, are getting good. And so deer, deer are on those. That's what, what worked for me last year was in, in those white oaks and early season. So if you can find a, a group of white oaks or something like that, that's, that makes it worth it. But I've, I've got, 375,000 white oaks marked down there. So I think, I think we'll be okay. There's a, there's a lot of timber in the area I'm going and I, I think it'll be a, I, I think that'll be a major factor in what I do, but I do think I'm going to get down there and try. Yeah. That. That'll be fun. I w- wish you the best of luck. That'll be someday down the road. I'll, I'll put in for an Iowa tag, but I'll get to vicariously live to you this year. If you have to send me text message updates. So. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. You know, it's, I, I was, uh, for me, it, it's a weird one to justify because it is expensive and there's a lot of states you can go to that are, you know, the tags half the price and you can buy it over the counter. But the, the general appeal is having that whole month of November, no gun season coming in and mm-hmm. generally pretty limited pressure. And for me, I, I was looking at it going, you know, I can get to some of this stuff in a couple hours from my house here in Minnesota and I'm driving a hell of a lot farther for some of these other hunts that are, you know, on paper, probably a little bit cheaper, but not that much cheaper. And so it's kind of like, eh, you know, you, you just do what you can. And, you know, if you go camp, like I, I do, the, the hunt is, you know, way less than an elk hunt or way less than a yeah. Western hunt. So it's, it's just all, it's all what's worth it to somebody. And I, you know, I, I the one thing I like about Iowa is just, you're dealing with just beautiful country. You know, you got a pretty good density. If you're around some trees, you're around some deer mm-hmm. and it's just, there's just, there's some good things to be said. And they, they seem to kind of like the places I've been to in Missouri, they seem to take care of the public land pretty well. Yeah. I've not, not done much hunting in Iowa, but, um, they do take pretty good care of it. And here in Missouri, they do, our conservation department does a great job, but, and that's, that's what makes it fun to hunt all this public land we have. And, um, yeah, I think that's, like you just talking about out of state trips, I think that makes it fun. And that's really what this is all about. It is, we do put meat in the freezer cause we need it, but, um, it just, it's more fun when you're exploring a new place and you don't, you know, you're, you're going in October. It's not, not the ideal dream situation hunting Iowa, but it may work out awesome. And it's, that's just kind of the fun thing about this. You get to experience new things at different times of the year. And, uh, where if you're just solely hunting your private land, you may, you may miss out on all these just kind of different experiences. So, Yeah. It's all fun, man. What's, what's your goal for how many deer you want to put in the freezer this year? We eat mainly venison. Um, and usually when rifle season rolls around, the, the does stack up and my <laughs> dad will shoot does for me too. But, um, I generally try to put five deer in the freezer. Like I'll, I'll try. And my wife, absolutely loves to shoot deer now too so i got her on the doe shooting bandwagon about three years ago and she's she's been rough on him she got a couple with her 
crossbow last year and um so we try to put five in the freezer and that that gets us through uh most of the time we're about out now so i'm gonna have to maybe put an extra one in but but that's kind of the goal you try to time it so you you just about run out when the new season kicks off that's generally what we do yeah i, I have to ration it out <laughs> yeah and, uh, extend it to where when september 15th rolls around i'm out of deer meat and ready to put some more in the freezer so that's that's how the that's very similar to how the Peterson household operates, <laughs> except my wife doesn't go out and shoot deer, so it's all on me. But I was I was thinking this year, you know, last year I had half a bull elk and five uh, five deer plus you know a bunch of pheasants and turkeys and stuff, and we're in the same boat. I, I'm going to be antelope hunting pretty soon here, but generally by deer season I want to be out and I'm going to be really close. So I'm thinking I, I'm kind of like eyeballing the seven deer mark, and my little girls are going to hunt. So that'll help. So I'm like, okay, if I can get five or six of them, that's, that should get us through. But it's, it's interesting going through this pandemic and going through the grocery stores when the, the shelves were cleared out and people were freaking out about food and you go, you know, I'd like, I, I, I wouldn't hate having a couple extra deer in the freezer in case somebody else eats a bat somewhere else and all this crazy shit happens, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not a bad, uh, it's not a bad way to live life. I don't think. No. Yeah. You're right. I, yeah, we're our freezer as long as as long as we have electricity, we'll be in good shape. The freezer is usually usually stocked up on venison and uh, even learning to eat eat squirrels, learn how to cook them, stuff like that. Just turkey and all kinds of good stuff. I would love to put in. I actually want to shoot a moose really bad just because uh, somebody gave me some moose meat one time and it was amazing. I was like, I I would have to buy another freezer, but uh, but yeah, wild wild game's good. And I think people don't don't take the time to, to cook it and do it right, but it's good stuff and having a freezer full of it's a good thing. So it's, it's, it's a really good feeling ending the season, looking in the freezer and seeing a ton of wild game in there, a ton of venison. <laughs> um, we we're about ready to wrap this up. So I want to ask you a question because I don't think you understand something here. You're, you're sitting there with a brand new baby at home right before hunting season kicks off. You love to hunt. Your wife loves to hunt. Did you know you can plan when you have babies? Um, yes, uh, we, you sort of can and you sort of can, <laughs> but we, uh, we, we, <laughs> we actually struggled to, to get, get pregnant for a while. So I'm, I'm okay with whenever our babies come, we'll, We'll work around it. You were taking and, the shotgun approach, approach then, just like we're right. hoping one of these hits. That's right, and we're going to take them all hunting too, so they'll be hunting with us no matter what. So. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 an awesome thing, man. I, I just had a conversation with uh, uh, Jace Bowserman, who's been on here a whole bunch, and who I'm going antelope hunting with, and his he bred his dog, and he's got a brand new litter of puppies at home. I'm like, dude nobody hunts more than you do. Like, I don't know anybody who hunts more than you do. And now you've got a litter of puppies at home to take care of. Like bad timing, man. Bad yeah. timing. Yeah. I won't, I won't do that. we got to, well, I guess I don't have to take care of puppies. One of our bird dogs, they're going to, our friends want to breed him. So, but then I don't have to take care of the puppies. That's the good thing about having male dogs. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to take care of puppies. There's a lot of work that goes into breeding dogs that people, you know, you see the prices of a well-bred dog right now and people kind of get starry eyed and they see the, they see dollar bills 
and you don't know if that litter is going to be four dogs or 12 and <laughs> you you don't know how it's going to shake out. And then when they start getting into, you know, the well-bred dogs and you talk about the genetic testing and all the clearances and everything and the vet bills, it starts to eat away at all of that, you know, vacation money you think you're going to get oh, out yeah. of that, that litter of puppies. So it's a different world. Anyway, man, so happy that you got the little baby at home and the, the Fleer family is growing. Um, I know you're going to get out enough to kill some big bucks this year. Uh, always love having you on. Thanks so much, Zach, for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, let's let's stay in touch. Keep me update on your October hunt and we'll, or your Iowa hunt if you're going in October. But yeah, I appreciate you having me on. So. Will do, buddy. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I can't honestly put into words how much I appreciate anyone taking the time to check into the Hunt for Real podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe so you can get the latest episodes each week as we drop them. You can also find us at huntforreal.com, our YouTube channel where we'll be putting up tips and films throughout the year, as well as through all the usual suspects when it comes to social media. Again, thank you so much for listening.